land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me, and walk this lovely. Good evening. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. I'm here with uh, Kirk and Dee. And this evening, as I understand it, Kirk, you've done some uh, research. You've listened uh, to and studied a, uh, a comprehensive uh, review of the state of the world um, from mm-hmm. one of the premier think tanks. And what you have heard, as I understand it, is, is quite consistent with what we've been presenting on Yada Yada Radio in terms of, of where the world is headed and what it means for uh, Jews, both in Israel and the United States, as well as what it means for Europe, the United States, China, and Russia, and how many of these um, key players are moving the world towards uh, economic collapse, towards uh, worldwide famine, uh, and most importantly and negatively, directly towards nuclear war. And we've been quite detailed in explaining exactly how this is happening, who the players are, why it's happening, uh, and when it's going to come to fruition. Um, And it sounds like uh, quite recently, uh, one of the uh, leading think tanks in the world has come Mm -hmm. to the same conclusion. Yes, sir. It Go ahead, Kirk. Uh, the uh, oh, the well, mic sure. is yours, as they say. Okay. Well, the the hardest thing to grasp, I think, for most Americans is that they truly they are patriotic, they're religious, they're political, and extraordinarily arrogant, which uh, Yahweh talks about. And uh, they have uh, they spit on Israel to make things even worse. They've tried to move everyone around, and now they're poking the bear, the Russian bear. Uh, and they think they can control China, and we're just delusional. Uh, was <laughs> my yeah. uh, view after I read all these reports, and uh, I tried to read as many of the footnotes as well, and on and on and on and on. But here's what it said: uh, the first, the first issue that it addressed was the new alignment of the world, which is the uh, 
the largest world economies in GDP and purchasing power, they made a list there, which was uh, I, I started to ignore, and then I looked at it a little deeper, and I thought, well, boy, that's kind of interesting. They've got uh, China, and these are percentages uh, of uh, gross standard product and so forth. And China, of course, is the leader at 30-something percent, and the U.S. is 25, 35. And don't get lost in the details here. Just follow with me a minute. India, 11.75 percent. And then we have it moves down to single digits when you have Japan at 6, uh, 11, and Germany at 5.25. Russia is only 4.37. Uh, Indonesia's four and UK and so forth and Brazil and France are tiny players as well. But what was interesting, what I did is I aligned the ones that have been joining together, that is China and India, Indonesia um, and um, India, did I say India? Yeah. And that comes out to uh, and of course, about 54%. And of course, Russia, Russia and, and Russia. Uh, to a large degree now uh, Brazil, that's the BRIC initiative, is uh, joining them. Yes. So all of those, I put the bricks together, and that comes up to about 54% of the economic power of the world. And then that leaves um, the other side of the, the shore, France and England, uh, Germany and Japan with the U.S. at about 44%. But here's, here's, here's what's really interesting. Uh, Japan is already leaning towards China. They're making all kinds of deals with China because they can see that nobody's going to defend them. Germany has made all kind of overtures uh, trying to get out of this deal. They're not high on invading Russia. They don't want to give tanks away, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and then um, the U.K. will stay with America and France, who knows. But uh, that comes up to around 76% of the uh, power, economic power of the world uh, against the people you're trying to fight all the time. And we, we don't make anything, and we don't uh, – so <laughs> we're in trouble. Yeah, we're but pretty good at making topic. we're pretty good at making weapons, but uh, even then we uh, we need to buy all of the raw material from Russia and China, which puts us in a very difficult spot. And yeah, uh, I'm not sure even now we are the leader in the uh, the most effective weapons. If uh, superpowers go to war, uh, you can trust me on this. It will not be. Mm-hmm. Uh, through uh, battle groups and aircraft carriers, which the United States is dominant. It's uh, yeah, not going to be through, uh, through strategic bombers. It's going to be through uh, hypersonic missiles, uh, whether they're shot mm-hmm. from submarines or from silos. But uh, uh, those carrying uh, nuclear warheads are going to be the unstoppable foe of, uh, of war between superpowers. And we are not on the cutting edge of that. Um, not that uh, I would encourage anyone to be, but the countries that <laughs> yeah. we are, are uh, antagonizing are. And they have put their submarines off uh, the U.S. coast. Matter of fact, uh, Russia recently, just this week, said that uh, continuing to escalate the Ukrainian uh, war by sending in uh, battle tanks and long-range uh, missiles, which is what the United States uh, has uh, done recently. The, what uh, Russia has responded is that, of course, you're setting us up to, uh, to have only one option. Uh, and the first to feel that option will be uh, London, uh, because they have been an antagonist uh, all along. And then we will pick two U.S. cities, and the U.S. can figure out which ones they will be. 
and they're not talking about uh, sending in a um, uh, a tank. They're talking about a nuclear no. weapon. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, this is a, a devastating consequence. And you know, I, yeah. I've been trying to talk America down off of this ledge uh, for uh, over a decade. And we go further yeah, and so further out on it. Yeah, yeah, we go further and further out mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, it's interesting to, to look at uh, the formation of BRIC, and, and I'm convinced that BRIC is going to be the economic fate uh, of the world and the demise of America's status as the lone reserve currency. And when we lose that status as a reserve currency, our fiat money, <clears throat> which is really a liability, not an asset, uh, just look at one of your bills, it's a promissory note, Uh you recognize that it, it has no value. We will not be able to fund our debt, even with the illusion of quantitative easing, um, which is just simply sleight of hand. Uh, we, the, the world will not need to keep U.S. dollars in reserve to, to buy uh, uh, petrol and, and other goods and services. They'll be able to use any one of, uh, of a dozen different uh, currencies. Uh, and so the world will be awash in dollars. Uh, we won't be able to continue to fund our debt. Uh, inflation uh, will, uh, will become far worse than it is now. It'll become uh, much higher double digits. And the United States economy is going to collapse. Uh, it is inevitable. Um, there is no remedy for it at this point. We're far too uh far off that cliff in the death spiral and having destroyed the value of our currency. It, clearly, the things that exacerbated it the most was the idiotic response to COVID where we shut down the economy and then flooded the, uh, the economy with uh, funny money uh, to try to get yeah. it uh, jump-started. That was the single worst thing. And then second only to that was when we imposed sanctions on Russia for a war that we egged them into and gave them no choice. Uh, and paralyzed uh, world economies trying to emerge from the uh, uh, the consequence of COVID. Uh, that one-two yeah. punch absolutely devastated the world. And then there is a, a third aspect to it, and there are three arms to this, and they all point in the same direction, and that is the United States has been belligerent. Uh, we have demanded that countries uh, provide arms to uh, the Ukraine, uh, we have uh, demanded that they have sanctioned uh, Russia. We have demanded that they follow everything that we tell them to do. And quite frankly, the Europeans in particular are tired of freezing to death and, uh, and starving. Uh, this has been disastrous for them. Uh, and they recognize that particularly in what the United States did in Afghanistan, that we can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. So, the combination of the fact that the United States is the biggest hypocrites in the world, and literally, I mean, we, we blame everyone for the things that we do the most of. Uh, and then we badger countries to do what we dictate. Uh, they're tired of it. And so BRIC was created to do away with the dependence on the U.S. dollar so that no one uh, – in the world would have to uh, uh, to be badgered by the U.S. Um, and the moment Saudi Arabia um, accepts 
uh, any one of the BRIC currencies, um, it's over. Uh, it, uh, within a week, within a week we'll have economic yeah. collapse. And, and uh, you know, Saudi Arabia's largest customer is not the United States. It's China. And mm -hmm. China is very close to having a pipeline that will run all the way from Saudi Arabia uh, into China that, that runs now almost all the way from the Caspian Sea. I think it's nearly finished from the Caspian Sea and Iran, which is why they back Iran all the way into China. And uh, there's not much that needs to be done to tie Saudi Arabia into it. Um, it's over the moment that occurs. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's inevitable. And as you say, the countries that are part of it are uh, Brazil, uh, which is the largest economy in South America, um, mm -hmm. India, which is the uh, world's second the largest population in the world now. Yeah, now I think North it actually passed China, so it's the largest population one. in the uh, in the world. Uh, Russia, uh, which uh, by the way is not losing the war in the Ukraine, even though we are. I'm going to cover that in a minute. Sending yeah. <laughs> uh, stunning amounts of weapons there, uh, and uh, China—that's what BRIC uh, stands for—and. Um, mm -hmm. China's investments now throughout Africa, uh, their investments throughout the Middle East, even Israel, that's uh, their second largest trading partner is China. Um, I, they are so invested in, uh, in Africa, the Middle East, and, uh, and in all these nations now, Central America, that are floundering because of the one-two punch of COVID and Russian sanctions. Um, that economically they uh, they have the world uh, in a noose, um, and they're going to prevail. They're not going to allow the U.S. dollar to continue to to control them. Now, I, I think the only reason that we're still playing the game is that mm -hmm. the United States is their biggest market. They are uh, the uh, other than the funny money uh, held by the Federal Reserve and quantitative e uh, easing. Uh, they're the largest holder of uh, U.S. Treasuries, Bond. which they have not mm -hmm. increased. Uh, and uh, in a decade, while the uh, while our debt has quadrupled, um, but uh, they don't so they don't want to lose the value of, of that, and they uh, they don't want to lose the U.S. as a, a market uh, immediately. So they will continue to invest in that uh, uh, beltway, uh, that initiative, um, and soon they just flat out won't need us. And when they don't need us, it's over for us. Uh, we mm -hmm. put ourselves in a horrible position. Yeah. Well, the two more parts, if you'll allow me to cover. Sure, uh, One please. of them is the, the, big, the big lie about the Ukraine. Uh, and first of all, the big lie is Russia is not losing this war. Um, the uh, death toll is um, the highest death toll to the Russians they reported could be as much as 20,000. However, Ukrainians are, uh, Ukrainians are losing eight for every one Russian that passed away, that died or was killed. Um, here's some little factoids that help you make up your mind about how well they're doing. Ukraine started with 2,000 tanks. They just about don't have any now. That's why they're so desperate to get some tanks from Russia, I mean from, uh, mm -hmm. from Germany and, um, and, and the, some of the well, nations. The United nations. States did uh, promise them a... a, a boatload of uh, A1 Abrams. By the way, the U.S. also has been begging places like, uh, they mentioned that uh, places like um, South Korea, if you have some weapons, please send them. Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, Israel had uh, weapons under U.S. custody someplace in the world. I don't even know where they uh, they were. And the uh, United States, uh, even though Israel is trying to stay neutral, uh, shipped them to the Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, we're, that's, that's we are really dastardly at home. <laughs> we are really screwed. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, in, any case, in any case, um, here's the situation. You know, they they analyzed what NATO had, and NATO, they said, cannot put together more than 100,000 troops. Uh, and then even if they could get them there, which would take a minimum of two weeks to a month to get there, they can't move them around the Ukraine because all the railroads and all the infrastructure has been bombed right. out by the war. Uh, yes. So now they've amassed 650,000 Russian troops, which is they're calling an occupational force because they can pretty well take them when they want to, uh, is the implications of what I was reading and agreed on by the think tank, tank people. Uh, the U.S., they said, is really, really out of uh, conventional weapons. Um, give you an example, so is most of European NATO nations. France has 72 howitzers at the present time. Russia sent seven, uses about 70 of them a week. <laughs> they are loaded with weapons. Majority Russians, um, they said, from a standpoint of backing, the vast majority of Russians won't put into put into uh, yeah. take off the gloves and, and speed up this war. Um, yeah. and, and I absolutely. think it's important, Kirk, just to say that that uh, while we are uh, presenting a scenario that is very different than what scenario. America has, uh, has been led to believe. Uh, we are not no. advocating on behalf of Russia. Uh, no, it's what just, we are, this is what reality. We want to do, we wanted, we've been committed to only uh, one thing since the beginning. We want uh, the, all who are willing to listen to know the truth. And we want mm-hmm. them to be, we want all who are willing to listen to be prepared for what's going to happen. And to tell you the truth and for you to be prepared for what's going to happen, you are going to have to hear rhetoric and evidence that is exceedingly caustic to American propaganda. And you will find that America isn't the good guy. We aren't the peaceful nation out there. We aren't the nation investing to make the world a better place. We are the merchants of death. We are belligerent. We are the least honorable country on earth in terms of our dealings with other nations and the way that we present ourselves and then corrupt the flow of information. We are, we are better now at disinformation than was uh, the propaganda that came out of Nazi Germany. And no nation on earth makes anywhere near as many weapons, supplies as many weapons to the world, or has invested anywhere close to the amount of money in their military and spying apparatus. As a matter of fact, you combine our spying and military, uh, we outpace the rest of the world combined. But it does not put us in a position where we will prevail. We're going to lose. And part of this is just the stupidity of American uh, maneuvering. Uh, we have invested in the wrong things. You know, we spend a fortune on our Navy, and it isn't worth anything. 
Not not anymore. Like you said that for ten years that I'm aware. It of. is yeah. yeah it, is, it is so vulnerable now to these uh, hypersonic uh, weapons and to uh, all manner of uh, of um, high speed torpedoes that that don't hit the vessel. They explode underneath it and break the keel. And our aircraft carriers and the support groups are are going to be nothing but coffins. Mm-hmm. Our airplanes don't have enough range from them to engage a, a formidable foe. We are not uh, who we think we are. And we are the reason that the war in the Ukraine has occurred. We encouraged it. We plotted for it. We've equipped it. We overthrew the, uh, the elected government to make it possible. We're financing it. We're the cheerleader for it. And we're, we've put ourselves in a position where only one or two scenarios is now possible. Russia wins the war on conventional grounds and takes the Ukraine, but won't stop there because of what Europe has done. Mm-hmm. And we have a European war. That's the best scenario that exists. Yeah. If Russia loses well, the war Sorry. and we continue to supply enough weapons that enough Russians die that they uh, decide that it isn't worth fighting anymore, then they're going to retaliate against the West that supplied those weapons that killed Russians with a nuclear attack. Those are the only two options. There are no others. So be prepared. And... Uh, and it's, it's exceedingly important, not for us just to talk about the war, but also to talk about economic consequences. And we have destroyed mm-hmm. the value of our currency. It, is, uh, it only functions now as a matter of faith because of our international reserve currency status, which means that petrodollars, for example, and most other goods and services are traded internationally in dollars, which requires countries to have a stash of dollars to conduct trade, but BRIC was established explicitly to counter that. Mm-hmm. And the BRIC nations are far more economically powerful now than is America. And they're just bidding their time, particularly because of this uh, belt initiative of China, where it's not just the roads that make it possible for China to access all of Europe, all of the Middle East, and all of Africa by rail and road, not even needing to go to sea, but put them in the position where they are the largest investor now in the world, by far. And they don't invest like uh, you would do a business uh, deal where where uh, if, uh, the, if the business defaults you, where well, you say, oh, boy, I'm sorry, and you go on your way. No, they do their deals directly with the government, and if there's an, any default, they own you. And this battle has been fought and lost. Now, the timing of it is also um, interesting because Yahweh returns with Dode in just over 10 years. Ten years and about, uh, what, seven, eight months at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, there will be a world war between now and then. 
And that world war is going to start after the collapse of the Syrian regime, which is, you know, in tatters. He's got Russia on one side, the United States uh, on the other. Uh, you have uh, Shia Islam on one side, Sunni Islam on the, uh, the other. Uh, and it's a disaster. It's going to fall. Damascus will fall. It will be the final catalyst for that war. And, uh, and to appease the Muslims, the United States will force Israel to accept the two-state final solution, which will lead immediately to world war just as Neville Chamberlain's sacrifice of Czechoslovakia led to World War II. It is inevitable. In fact, Yahweh has stated it unequivocally. And as a result of that, we, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a war that's going to have the United States and Europe on one side, China, uh, Russia uh, on the other side, uh, Sunni and Shia Islam split. Um, and people around the world are going to die. They're going to starve. Millions. There'll be pandemics. Uh, there'll be nuclear uh, holocausts. It's, um, that is where we're headed. And in the midst of all that, there will be a total and complete economic collapse. Now, Kirk, if we were to say this, mm-hmm. uh, five years ago, six years ago, it wouldn't no, have seemed possible. The, uh, the normalcy complex, the normalcy complex, is so pervasive in human thinking, which is that, you know, yesterday was uh, was all right. Tomorrow will be the same. Yeah. Because they cannot fathom a radical change from what they have experienced. But COVID radically changed that. No one could have imagined the entire world giving up their livelihoods and liberty. And they ransacking of the economy for a virus that turned out to be about as deadly as the flu. No one could have imagined it. And yet here we are. And no one could have imagined that the United States would deliberately plot a proxy war with Russia that will lead to nuclear holocaust and uh, economic uh, meltdown. No one was then predicting the great reset that is going to be necessary after uh, the success of BRIC. But it's all here now. We're dealing with that reality now. It's, it's inevitable. And so now when we tell you what's going to happen, it may seem shocking, but it shouldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And Doesn't to me. it's not like, Kirk, we have been saying this for a year or two or came to understand it post-COVID or post-American sanctions and uh, proxy war with Russia or post the formation of BRIC. We've been saying this for 20 years. The story hasn't changed, mm-hmm. even to the details over 20 years. No, we, we have an advantage. Um, I would think that uh, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that understands the prophets better than we do. They're legitimate prophets. Uh, 
um, Hosha, who we're studying here, um, Yasha Yah, my favorite. That's the real deal. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Yerma Yah, uh, uh, Zachariah, Malachi. Um, perhaps the greatest of them, certainly the greatest of them in terms of overall impact on the lives of God's people, Moshe. Uh, Moshe. My personal favorite is, is Yasha Yah, but the greatest man who ever lived was also a prophet. His name is Dote, uh, mistakenly called David. By reading what they wrote and putting all the pieces together, we have seen the future presented to us in black and white. So we know what's going to happen. And we have another advantage, and so I want you to, to take heed when you hear this. Um, I'm in a very unique situation. No one in the world not in 2,500 years, has been in this situation for reasons that are important to him and to no one else. Yahweh, which is God's one and only name, asked me to do this for you. Get paid for it. It's a, uh, it was a volunteer job. I had no qualifications. And if you look at the people God likes to work with, it's definitely not bragging. The titles afforded this job are not prestigious. I talk about that a lot. Yeah. They are not prestigious. I am not a prophet. I am not the Messiah. I know who is. That's Dode. Mm-hmm. Yep. But Yahweh asked for someone to awaken his people prior to his return. A Bashar, a herald, a choder, uh, who is a, a sucker that's growing up from the original root stock and stump that has been cut down. Uh, Nakri, which is an observant foreigner. A Malak, which is a messenger. A Zeroa, who is one who plants the seeds that take root and grow. And Yara, which means one who finally comes to know and acknowledge what Yahweh had to say. And he specifically tells us in Yahshua, uh in the 11th chapter that there are seven spirits that are devoted to helping him understand what people have missed these last 2,500 years, maybe even 3,000 years. So you're listening to something here, and if you go to Yadayah, Dot com, Y-A-D-A-Y-A-H dot com. You'll have the opportunity to read, now is I think 26 or 27 volumes. Um, really. Yeah, and, and that doesn't even include uh, the, uh, the three that uh, one was written on, on economics uh, business called In the Company uh, about uh, corporate dynamics, which is an exceedingly important read in today's world. And two were written on my uh, expose on Islam. Uh, so I think it's 30, including those. They're all free. You can read every page and every word online for free. Go to yadayad.com. And if you want a paperback or hardback, you can buy them all at Amazon for just the cost of printing and, and shipping. No royalty to us. 
So it's all there for you to read, to study, to learn. You can do what you can't do very easily with the spoken word or with the videos that permeate the world now. Because with the written word, particularly when you're reading it online, you can copy and paste to your heart's content and Mm -hmm. drop it into your favorite search engine, which is Google for most people, and look up that word's meaning as we translate Yahweh's testimony in any lexicon or dictionary of your choice. And we've given you that opportunity to validate what we have learned. And we've presented the, a commentary filled with insights. Um, I'd say, Kirk, that there must be well over a thousand insights uh, that mm-hmm. were first, yeah, first shared here in the Yada Yawa series that was unknown to the world prior to uh, this revelation. So this is an extraordinary time and an extraordinary opportunity. And if you're one of the people listening to this, then take advantage of it. Um, Chances are, if you're listening to this, it's because Yahweh wants you to. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're already questioning uh, your religion, if you even are religious. You're also questioning your political affiliations, if you had been or are political. Because if you're going to make this journey to where we are, which is to know Yahweh and to be part of his covenant family, you must forego your religion and your politics. We are not religious. We are not political. We are anti-religious, particularly Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And we are anti-political, particularly the largest government forms of politics, which would be communism, fascism, socialism. So that's where we are, Kirk. And I think you had you have even more that you wanted to share about. Uh, well, how... Ken, if you if 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 you won't, it's really quite yeah, interesting. The, sure. uh, you talk about duplicitous people, and uh, that's exactly what the Russians called them. You know, they had a chance, according to the. Uh, they had a chance to not prolong this war and get out of the deal, and they wouldn't do it. In fact, they uh, they laughed about it. They had a UN meeting or something. I didn't get the details. I'm sorry, I didn't write them down. But where they wanted to negotiate with the Russians, and um, what happened was that uh, they, the Americans, decided to just uh, sandbag them and wait a while so they could rearm them, and then they rearmed them, and then they laughed about it in its own record, according to the Rand Corporation. So so what uh, Putin knows and the Russians said, well, we can't trust these people no matter what. Now the worm no has turned. What. Correct. And so, so they said, why should you – you're not going to win this war. And for a whole host of reasons, you're not going to win this war. It's, it's almost like reading the Civil War. Like the South's got nothing but cotton, and they're going to fight the industrial north. I mean, come on. You just you can't you can't whip these people, so um, so they they have no reason to negotiate because they don't trust us. We we always lie. Well, they um, they did everything they could to negotiate because Russia posted its troops uh, around the Ukrainian border for what six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did everything they could to get our attention because we were playing the Cuban Missile Crisis 
but in a far uh, more intense way. Uh, yeah. And so uh, they recognized that if we were to include uh, what were part of the old uh, uh, Soviet Union countries like the Ukraine into NATO and arm them that Russia could not defend itself, that it would be over. And so no nation allows a country to threaten its demise. You push a country into a corner, they will respond. So Russia did everything they could to tell the world, don't do this. Do not allow the Ukraine to be part of NATO. Do not uh, arm the Ukraine. Uh, It is like when the Russians put missiles in Cuba because we couldn't, they couldn't convince us to pull them out of Turkey, ours out of Turkey. And so the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, was waged diplomatically for us to pull our missiles out of Turkey and for the Russians to pull their missiles out of Cuba so that we would de-escalate world conflict. And that's what Khrushchev and Kennedy did. They didn't like each other, but they recognized that backing down was the right call. But between George W. Bush, who is a raving lunatic and nincompoop, Obama, who was utterly unqualified for that position, yeah, and then you you follow that by you know, the likes of of, uh, of who we have seen. I mean, Trump. Oh my God, that's <laughs> crazy. He can't even talk. Rue by tweeting. Yeah, uh, and and so collectively they have pushed the buttons. Uh, And it's not just them. Uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham were hugely uh, involved in this, going to Ukraine and saying, we're going to make you part of of NATO, and we're going to arm you to fight our mutual foe, and we will be with you every step of the way, and we will continue to arm and fight with you until you prevail. It was back in... What, 2012, 2013? Yeah, it had to be post-2009. That is is what we have done. And then, I mean, easily the dumbest person to ever occupy the position of of, uh, vice president, uh, Camilla Harris, went to Europe, and I'm surprised she could even pronounce NATO, but she welcomed... (laughs) The Ukraine's participation in NATO, and two days later, the Russians said the hell with it and crossed the border. Mm. That's what happened, folks. And, you know, you can complain about Russia's takeover of Crimea. Ninety-five percent of the Crimeans voted for them. Why? Because they had voted for a government that the United States overthrew. Yeah, they forget that part. Yeah, they show up they to show up Russian. They are Russians. You know that revolution in Ukraine—that wasn't a haphazard event. 
The United States inspired it and armed it. And we did it because, and we talked about this when it was happening, because the Russians actually released the U.S. State Department and CIA cables to the revolutionaries, encouraging them, arming them. We did it because the Russians and the International Monetary Fund, for some stupid reason, were vying for who's going to fund the deficits in Ukraine, because the Ukraine is, uh, is so inefficient, so filled with yeah. graft, that it, about 20-25% of the Ukrainian uh, national budget is stolen. And so they're so graft-ridden, they can't prevail without handouts, and they never pay them back. But the Russians had a means to be able to recoup on their loans, which was the pipeline yeah. that uh, fed fuel to, uh, to Europe. And yeah. the United States had none. So the United States uh, overthrew the popularly elected government so that the IMF, which is funded by the United States, could be the primary lender of the Ukraine and therefore control the Ukraine. That was our plan. And it was going to cost 3 to $5 billion a year to prop up the Ukraine. God, now we spend 3 to $5 billion a week sending them aid and weapons. And that doesn't even account for the country that's broken. Now, I don't know where we are now, but somewhere north of $150 billion and racing towards $200 billion. I've heard that number, yeah. 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 Why? Yeah, yeah. Because a bunch of why of idiots decided that you know we could bring Russia to its knees if we fought a proxy war through the Ukraine. No, no, we tried a proxy war with uh, Russia uh, in Vietnam. Didn't turn out very well for us. We no, tried another one in Afghanistan, where oh, we clap our hands and say, look how well we did using the Taliban to bring down. Russia's influence in Afghanistan. Yeah, it led right to 9-11 and the growth of Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turned out great for us. But we don't play this mm-hmm. game very well. Now, we wouldn't care. I don't care between Russia and Australia and, and Germany and the UK and China. I don't care. Listen, uh, yeah, I have some issues. I, I, I don't like the communist system in China. Uh, big government is always bad government. Um, I, I, uh, I do not like the anti-Semitism in Germany. Uh, I mean, yes, we do play some favorites, or, and we have some unfavorites. But the fact of the matter is, we're not trying to take sides here. We, uh, I don't know what your arsenal is, Kirk, but uh, mine's pretty meager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. We, we, there is nothing we're going to do that is going to engage and change this one way or another. All we want to do is to give people information so that they are not hoodwinked, so they're not played right. for fools, so that they can make an informed and rational decision, and so that they can stop trusting their government, stop trusting their religion. And then once that happens, maybe be open to what Yahweh has to say. Mm-hmm. And that is our ultimate mission, is that once people have walked away from religion and politics because they realize they can't trust them, 
that they're willing to listen to what Yahweh has to say and accept the terms and conditions of his covenant. Yeah. So what more did you uh, you learn, Kirk? Well, one last one last thing I thought was interesting yeah. because you did several shows on it, and uh, and they went about talking about uh, what uh, Russia has all these resources and what they need and versus what they might want. However, their needs are uh, are nothing we have they need. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So they go on and make a, a long, long list. Not too long, but uh, for our show. But uh, um, the first thing they, they pointed out that is Russia um, gets stronger with the ruble, and they can start. They can buy things with the ruble without using the U.S. dollar. Then, of course, uh, the question yep. becomes, well, who needs the U.S. dollar? And we already discussed that in, uh, at uh, Ignatium. So um, when the West loses the war, they started out, there will be no petrodollar. And so mm-hmm. this is a good focus. You've said the whole time, watch Ukraine. This is this is what's going to trigger so much. And just like we watch Syria, yep. because uh, uh, we know what that's going to do. And, and so these yep. are the key points. So, so yeah, and uh, we need to understand a few, well, a couple more things about the Ukraine. In fact, three. Uh, sure. First of all, okay, from Yahweh's perspective, the Ukraine is among the worst nations on earth. Uh, long before the Germans became anti-Semitic and, uh, and united Europe in the Holocaust. And the Holocaust is a European affair, not just a German affair, not just a Nazi affair. It was a European affair. Europeans were anti-Semitic and they were jubilant players in the, uh, the Holocaust. Oh, the pogroms? Yeah. Yes. But the pogroms in, uh, in the Ukraine were the worst in the world. And they began hundreds of years before the rise of Nazi Germany. There is no nation that per capita has done more to harass and kill Jews, to demonize Jews, than the Ukraine. So God does not care much for the Ukraine. Second, the birthplace of the most um, atrocious form of Judaism the dominant form of Judaism in Israel and the second largest uh, form of Judaism in the United States where um, some 42, 45% of Jews live is uh, the Herodim. Uh, And ultra-Orthodox Judaism, Hasidic Judaism, was born in the Ukraine. It has the most idiotic founder of all time the only founder of well i guess there's been others but very few founders of well i guess muhammad was uh, illiterate too but he, i don't know if he couldn't write but he certainly didn't write balshatov uh, lord of the good name is attributed to finding uh, creating it he was just a blank slate that uh, rabbis have written upon to create hasidic uh, judaism and it is repulsive god despises it um, and so you've got those two factors uh, going against the Ukraine, and then the fact that uh, graft in the Ukraine is uh, worse than any uh, country in Europe. Um, those three factors tell us that we should not be aiding and abetting the Ukrainians. Just shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> They should not have 
have held that revolution. They should not have uh, pleaded with the world for weapons. Um, they're, all they're doing is killing their own people, and we're aiding and abetting them. This is, this is not a battle we should fight. And, and every once in a while, there's a Republican that, that comes up and says, you know, we ought not be doing this. We ought to have an accounting of what's going on. We ought to try to salvage America before we go and, and uh, try to destroy the Ukraine and Russia. But there's none of them with enough character and backbone, information, to stand up and do the right thing. So there we are, and it's a, it's a really ugly picture. I did want to talk about one item in the news, uh, Kirk uh, and uh, Dee, before we move on. There is a, uh, I think it's in Boston. There's the, uh, the Satan Con. Uh, have you heard about the Satan Con? No. Um, I saw oh, something yeah, yeah. on Twitter yeah, yeah, about Satan it. Con. Yeah, um, uh, Tucker actually took on a, a Satanist uh, from the, uh, the Satan Con. Uh, and a group of Christians, uh, I think tens of thousands of them, have signed up to be prayer warriors against uh, Satan Con uh, 2023. It's uh, uh, going to be the largest satanic gathering in, uh, in world history, little did they know. Uh, so, <laughs> the Vatican. They've got, yeah, they've got, yeah, they've got, they got their little picture of Satan, and they have uh, Satan uh, as a uh, uh, as a goat, of course, and he's got his horns, but the body of a human. Mm. Uh, you know, all gods are uh, amorphosized; uh, they have to have the body of a human. Uh, but of course, this one I think has the hooves. Uh, I don't see the bottom of the statue, but uh, would have to have the uh, the hooves uh, of probably of the goat and the head of a goat. And uh, and there we are. Uh, now, I am uh, now just finishing the thirty fifth chapter of Ezekiel, so I'm seventy percent through the book. Uh, and Ezekiel is, in essence, Satan's autobiography. Tells you play-by-play of who yeah. Satan is, what he wants to achieve, uh, and how he is going about it. And the one thing that I, I learned more than that's, that's pervasive, the single most important aspect of the, uh, the three uh, uh, great fake religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, is that they all have their god attack Satan. And the book of Ezekiel is uh, beloved by all three religions. And in it, the voice, who is the lord of, of Babel, uh, who claims to be Yahweh and is his antithesis, is constantly projecting on various people and places his satanic nature, which prior to uh, his degradation by Yahweh after his little indiscretion in the Garden of Eden, was glorious. And so he wants you to know how glorious he was. And he is now devoted to not only reclaiming that glory, but being perceived above Yahweh. He's been very effective at it. Uh, and so in the book of Ezekiel, there's this constant tug of war uh, with Satan wanting you to know, I am really, really glorious, like the Ezekiel 1 and the, uh, the sighting of his Lord above the skies of Babylon. That's Satan. 
at all of the projections. He, he will actually get into great detail as how he was one of the uh, cherubim, cherubs, yeah. protecting the walls of, uh, of Eden, and which is why Chawa knew him. So he goes Makes into sense. great detail about who he was and what he's become and what he wants to achieve. And for Satan, which means the adversary, Hasatan means the adversary. So funny that the, the Satan con, they use the term Satan without even understanding what the name means and where it came from. Hasatan means the adversary. Why would you worship the adversary, you idiot? <laughs> Even Satan knows that title is a non-starter for him. He has to destroy any association with who he truly is, the Hasatan title. That's why you see in those three religions the constant attack on Satan, because Satan has to destroy any association with that title to be perceived as God. And that's the tug of war that exists all the way through the book of Ezekiel. I'm God, I'm Yahweh, I'm God, I'm Yahweh. You're going to know that I'm God, I'm Yahweh, repeated well over a hundred times after he's done really heinous things. Uh, and it's all because he has to destroy this affinity with the Hasatan title. So these nincompoops at SatanCon that think that they're worshiping Satan, Satan despises them. He doesn't want to be known as Satan. He wants to be known as Yahweh. In fact, the 35th chapter, which I'm just finishing translating, is this <clears throat> attack on the birthplace of Islam. And uh, the Lord of Babel ultimately turns on Muslims. And you say, why would he turn on Muslims? I mean, Allah is modeled after Satan. Why would you do that? You've got a religion that hates Jews as much as you do. He doesn't want to be known as Allah. Allah's not God. He knows Allah's not God. He doesn't want to be known as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't God. He sure as hell doesn't want to be known as the adversary, Hasatan. He wants to be known by the name of the only true God, Yahweh. Right. And so he will destroy, do everything in his power, to destroy Islam in the end, because he wants to be known not as Allah, but as Yahweh. And he can't wipe out or have anybody wipe out God's chosen people, Jews, and Israel, because the only place where he has any legitimacy to be seen as Yahweh is by Jews and Israel. So he returns on, uh, on Islam. So the whole story is just so fascinating. I figured that I'm about 750 pages into this. A lot of it is actually now presented uh, at the Yada uh, site. That's one of the uh, wonderful things about having Jackie and her edit team uh, editing as I, as I write and, and then having uh, David uh, post uh, these edited chapters. So even before we've gone to print on the, uh, the two volumes, actually be a three-volume set on Babel, including uh, Daniel, um, much of it is uh, already available for you to, uh, to read. But I did want to, to point out that, uh, that Satan, the last thing Satan wants is to be uh, known and worshipped as Satan, and the thing that he wants the, uh, the most is to be uh, perceived as God. And he has achieved his ambition because he is the Lord God. 
of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Yeah. All right. Unless somebody has something else they want to uh, to add, we're we are two thirds through our program. I would like to uh, sorry to uh, to cover uh, a little uh, Hosha. Are we? Uh, can, are we in a place can, we can I, do that? Can I, interrupt? I want to interrupt one time, and then okay, I want you ahead. to look at first, when we started five one. I something yeah. kind of uh, um, hit me uh, about Shama, and I, I, I was thinking about it last night, and, and I'm looking at the letters okay. and the pictographs. Okay. And the pictographs. All right. And All right. So Shama, I'll, those, Shama. I'll, read, I'll read it to uh, to our okay. uh, listeners here, uh, the translation of Hosea okay. uh, 5.1, and then you can share what you, uh, you have found. All right. Appreciate it. It begins with, hear this. Uh, Shama is the, uh, the word Zoth, uh, is, uh, defines z- uh, this. Shama means to listen and to hear. That's all Shama means. Uh, many English, uh, I almost hate to call them translations, but because uh, they're, they're, they're not even good paraphrases, uh, change Shama to obey. There is nothing in Shama that sex, uh, suggests obedience. It means to listen. And that's because Yahweh expects the words that he spoke to his prophets to be recited. And when you listen to his words being recited, you can listen to them, even if you are the one who is reciting them to yourself. I can tell you, when, when I go through and I, and I read through a chapter, I read it out loud. I want to hear the sounds. I want to, to retain it such that I, uh, I read it out loud. So recite it. It says, hear this, those who are priests, and who have become leaders, Hakohen, the ministers, taxed with explaining and facilitating precipitation in the Bereth and Mikre uh, through the Torah. Attention and be attentive to what you are hearing. Wakashab, listen diligently and recognize this information is true. Then respond to it. Family of Yisrael. Israel means one of uh, two things. Uh, it has a dark and a light meaning. Uh, the uh, name is based on Sarah, the most, I think, certainly in the top four or five most interesting people in God's story, uh, certainly the most amazing woman in, uh, in God's story. Uh, she would only be rivaled by the likes of really of, of, uh, of Dode and Moshe, uh, I think, in terms of being um, an extraordinary force for good. I think she's vastly more important uh, than Abraham, but that's just my take on it. Uh, but it's her name that sits in the middle of Yish Sarael. And uh, the name can mean to struggle and contend with God or individuals who engage and endure with God. And I'll tell you that there's been a whole lot more Yisraelites who have been on the negative side of that interpretation. So, hear this, those who are priests and have become religious leaders, pay attention and be attentive to what you are hearing, family of Israel, Household of the king and extended family of political leaders, open your ears to hear as tools to evaluate and consider. For this assessment applies to you. 
So who is Yahweh speaking to? Always oh, as heck is not a Gentile church, is it? Israel. No, 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 no. No. Certainly isn't the uh, the Herodim. He didn't use that term. Certainly isn't to Judaism. Most certainly isn't to Christians, not to Muslims. Definitely not to Goyim. Hear this, those who are Cohen, mm-hmm. the ministers, pay yeah. attention and be attentive to what you are hearing, family of Yisrael. Household, an extended family of political leaders, open your ears to hear and evaluate and consider. For this assessment applies to you. Indeed, you have become a snare. You are a dangerous means to control others. You are a mitzpah. The means to be observant in addition to a net spread out upon Tabor, a broken and confused world. That's Hosha 5.1. Now, you said there was a, uh, a word in there no, that I you just, wanted I, to... I, I did, and I've done, it, I've done it a million times. Shama and, and Shamar are two of my favorite words and some of the first mm-hmm. that I've uh, translated in, in the pictographs as well. And and I'm looking at Shama, and I'm saying, you know, I know that is always translated to hear and to listen with attention, which is a big deal for any father mm-hmm. who's saying, pay attention to me, listen to me, son, listen to me, daughter. This is I'm I'm trying to help you here. But the thing that struck me is I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at him. There's there's the uh, is there there's an a in a picture of an eye at the end of it, and I'm saying why 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 isn't it an ear if there's listen. The thing that's important about what you do in the books that you've written and the fact that we have the Dead Sea Strolls and we work from the oldest documents and all is so that it's a written word. All these books, I mean, I love to hear the show. I always did, but I, I used to read along, and I encourage everybody else to do that, read along while you were talking, and I put my notes out to the side and all that sort of stuff long before I ever called you and we, we got closer and did some shows together. Um, the I is, to, I think, to emphasize, because you have the Shamar, right. which is where the, the only difference is you have the Rosh at the end, the Resh at the end, and you can carefully examine and closely, closely examine, carefully uh, uh, examine this thing. However, your I is, is the clue is to hear him, you have to read it, or somebody yeah, has yeah. to read it to you. So the I yes. triggers the, it's got to be a visual written record somewhere that I can keep looking at. How do I closely examine and carefully consider anything that I can't get a hold of and repeat and repeat and repeat? Now, yeah. here I've got yeah, the great, internet, but yeah, they great don't, example of this they is didn't have that. that. Uh, when Muhammad created the, uh, the Quran, they were all recitals, and they maintained them orally from person to person for about 100 years before the first was written mm-hmm. down. All oral. When something is oral and you pass it on mouth to ear, mouth to ear, Even at that moment, much is lost. Much has Mm -hmm. changed. If you play that that uh, game of uh, where you uh, you um, uh, do this, and you have even adults who are intelligent read three sentences. uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's the first person reads three sentences, and then from that point, 
it's all passed on one person to the next. And if you do that through a chain of 10 people, what you get back bears very little resemblance to what you began with. That's how the Quran was retained. You look at, uh, at the Christian Jesus. You don't have a single thing he said written down within his lifetime, and he himself wrote nothing. That's why the Christian New Testament has more variations in it than it has words. In fact, about twice as many variations from the oldest uh, manuscripts and the actual number of words in the text. It isn't even remotely reliable. That's incredible. You look at, uh, at rabbinic Judaism, yeah. and they claim that it's based, it's a lie, but they claim it's based upon an oral Torah. And that oral Torah was given at the same time the written Torah was given, even though there's no mention of the oral Torah in the written Torah, and even though the written Torah says, no, this is the only revelation, they nonetheless believe that. So what do you think the chances are from, from 1500 approximately, 1450 yeah. uh, BCE yeah. to 500 CE when the Babylonian Talmud is written down, which they claim is the repository of the oral Torah, that through that period of time, 2,000 years of oral transmission, that they would have gotten anything right. Zero. Yep. Now, the difference is, when Yahweh spoke to his uh, prophets, beginning with Moshe, the instruction was, write this down. Write this the instruction down. was, get a really big scroll. Start writing this down. <laughs> We're going to communicate yeah, yeah. in writing. Because when you communicate in writing, and that's the advantage of the Yada Yada series versus this program, is you can read it at your pace. Someone can read it in London tonight, and someone can read it in Sydney, Australia tomorrow, or in Philadelphia the next day, and they're reading exactly the same text. And they can go back to it a week later or a month later, and there it is. And it doesn't change. Right. And with the written text, you have all the time in the world to make the connections, to think about it, and to thumb forward and back and connect it to other things that are written down. And when you write something down, as we have done 20 years ago, and it is still valid, that's an extraordinary accomplishment. And in Yahweh's case, he wrote things down 3,500. Hundred years ago, the written word is vastly superior to the spoken word. All the spoken word does that the written word will not do is you can convey more emotion through the spoken word. And so we can reach out to people who might not otherwise come to the Yada Yada site through social media and the spoken word. By the way, I uh, congratulations to you, Kirk. I understand now you are the new social media tycoon with your first uh, advertising uh, uh, endeavor on Facebook. Uh, you have uh, rung the bell and been a super champion. Uh, I also want to thank uh, my, uh, my favorite uh, person in the world, my wife. She has done an amazing job recently of making the yada yada. Uh, social media presence, which is managed by uh, Dee, the very person yeah. talking to us on this program, yeah. and who does a, 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 an astounding job of the social media outreach, um, which is all to draw attention to the, the books themselves. But my wife has right. put together a number of, 
really elegant uh, um, animations uh, to uh, help reach out to people and make them feel more comfortable uh, at the uh, at the site. So um, we have a lot going on uh, right now, and uh, and Yahweh's message is getting um, uh, more and uh, and more presentable. Uh, and credible to uh, to people, and we're inviting you to uh, to read them. But uh, that is an, an astounding thing. I've never thought about the fact that Shama, which means to listen, doesn't have a rosh in it. Uh, Shamar no. does, which means to be observant. Yes. So the one that tells you to be observant, which you would think would have the uh, the uh, uh, ain in it, which is the eye, and the uh, the one that tells you to listen, uh, doesn't have the ear, but has the eye in it. So It's got to be, it's it got to saying, be written down. If you down. want to listen to Yahweh, guess what you have to do? You've got to use your read. eyes to read it. Yeah. And if you want to be observant, what do you have to do? You have to listen to it and process it through your brain. <laughs> That's yeah. Pretty subtle, huh? Yeah, God, uh, God doesn't make a trick. But he cheats because he created this alphabet in the first place yeah, to communicate all of these things. He cheats in a really wonderful way. I mean, he created this language of uh, Hebrew. He created the alphabet in which it is, uh, is written. He created the universe. So, you know, his metaphors can walk on all fours. He, he does have a considerable advantage. But he has a sense of humor, uh, and he yeah. is uh, delighted when uh, the likes of, uh, of us, uh, when Kirk, when you point out, and it is really curious <laughs> that uh, to listen has an eye, yeah, and to be observant uh, has an ear. <laughs> but uh, that is the way, uh, that's the way it rolls. So here is Yahweh telling uh, his people, this applies to you, and uh, you've got a problem. Um, you've become a snare. Judaism is a snare. Uh, I've, I've talked about this yeah. before, and I don't think many people have an appreciation of it. Uh, and, and I am certain that there's a world out there that wants to label me an anti-Semite for saying this, when in fact I am the furthest from an anti-Semite on the planet, because uh, planet, Shem yeah. is the Hebrew word for name, and I don't think there is anyone on planet Earth uh, in the past 2,500 years who has been as fond of has been as willing to proclaim and say Yahweh's name and convey its implications as Sabbat. I love the, the name of his people and Yahudem, uh, which is the plural, Yahuda in, uh, in singular, which means beloved of Yah. Yeah, yeah. So we love the name. And I have devoted the last 22 years of my life, most days, 8 to 10, sometimes 12 hours a day, six and seven days a week to translating Yahweh's testimony from the oldest extant sources and then sharing those insights freely with God's people for the express purpose of having as many Yisraelites as is possible there on Yom Kippurim in year 6000, Yah, October 2nd at sundown 2033, recognizing Yahweh and calling him out by name as he returns with our Messiah, Dode, our king, and the son of God, Dode to David. So that's why we do this. Um, but here's the, uh, here's the rub, folks. And Yahweh says this so many times that I can tell it to you confidently. The single greatest threat 
to Jews, the greatest hindrance to Jews the past 2,000 years has not been Nazis. It hasn't even been the Roman Catholic Church or Imperial Rome before it. It has not been the satanically driven Islamic jihadists. Not even progressives today. It's Judaism. Judaism is the single greatest hazard to God's people. It has been the force that has done the most to keep Jews from knowing Yahweh's name, to understanding the terms and conditions of his covenant, to actually attending his Moed Mikre as they were attended and capitalizing upon them. They treat the Torah as an object, and then they label their Babylonian Talmud Torah. They've made, turned everything Yahweh said into religious uh, tyranny. Drivel. Yeah, uh, it is uh, it's the greatest harm ever perpetrated on God's people. But it's not just Judaism. Judaism actually emerged simultaneously with Christianity. And it was this interplay between rabbis that created both religions to counter one another, both being wrong. Uh, one of the most acclaimed rabbinic students of the day was named Shaul. He became known by the Roman name that he chose as Paul. He uh, wrote uh, 14 of the books of the Christian New Testament, and he is responsible for inspiring uh, three of the four Gospels, as well as the, uh, the book of Acts is uh, devoted to his life and was written by his publicist. He is the Christian New Testament, Paul. He claims to be the, uh, the foremost student of Gamaliel, the foremost teacher uh, of uh, rabbis uh, during the day. And he, as a rabbinical student, knew the Torah and prophets well enough to be able to misappropriate passages and to twist them as Satan had done in the garden for the express purpose of leading Gentiles away from the God of the Torah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so had it not been for the teaching of rabbis, Paul would not have been equipped to create Christianity. They are to blame. But worse than that, the response to the stupidity of Paul, and Paul is the one who turned the Passover lamb into God. He's the one who robbed Dode of his title, Son of God and Messiah, and, and transferred those titles to a caricature known as Jesus Christ for the express purpose of creating a new religion. He went to war with the God who he said inspired him. And all Jews had to do is to say, no, the Messiah is Dod. The very texts that you're claiming are the basis of your religion say the opposite of what you're claiming. Dode is the Son of God. Read it. Dode is the Messiah. It's Dode who is coming back. God himself says so. And oh, by the way, God's name is Yahweh. And this person that the Romans crucified had Yahweh's soul because we were told he did. And 
He came to fulfill Passover. He is the Passover lamb. And with the fulfillment of Passover, and then with the removal of religious stigma on matzah, where the fungus of religion is removed from our souls so we are perfected, we are empowered to become the children of Almighty God on Bacorum. That's what happened. There could not have been a bodily resurrection because the Torah says the body of the Passover lamb is incinerated that night. Plus, it would be completely counterproductive. Yeah. It did not happen. It could not happen. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. There was no bodily resurrection. The Passover lamb never comes back to life. That's not its purpose. And so by corrupting the purpose of the Passover lamb, Paul destroyed any opportunity that anyone who would believe in the Christian religion would have of eternal life. And the rabbis, rather than point all this out and to say, this is what's written, you're lying, and we can prove it. I did. I wrote four volumes on it called Questioning Paul. Why didn't Mm -hmm. they? I compared what Paul said to what Yahweh said and crucified Paul. Destroyed 100% of his credibility. If I could do it, they could do it, but they didn't. And instead of using the truth to destroy this horrible lie perpetrated about Yosha as the Passover lamb, He was the Passover lamb, but him being the Messiah and Son of God, and then him uh, uh, coming back to life, and of matzah meaning nothing. What they did is they went to war against Yosha, condemned his name, blot him out of the record, completely destroyed any chance uh, that Yehudim would have of knowing that Yahweh did as he promised in year 4,000, Yah, and he fulfilled the promise of Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim, and Shabuah. So that everyone who would accept those promises and attend those days could become immortal, perfected, adopted into the covenant, enriched and empowered and enlightened by God. And by destroying the connection between Yahweh and what he did for his people at that time, rabbinic Judaism became the greatest force for evil the world has ever known. Worse even than Imperial Rome and the Roman Catholic Church. Worse even than Islam. Christianity exists because rabbis equipped the man who started it and then didn't know how to handle it and lied on top of lies. That is not how you prevail. They lied against God rather than attacking the lie from Shaul Paul. You're responsible for what happened. Judaism is responsible. And the creation of Christianity led to the Roman Catholic Church and nearly 2,000 years of Jewish persecution, ultimately the Holocaust. It made the diaspora the second, the third, actually, invasion of Rome possible. And it doesn't end there. Muhammad 
was done. Living in Petra, which was, uh, you know, due south of Jerusalem, he was finished. He had run out of material. He had confiscated and plagiarized all the Hanif poetry available. The Hanif uh, poetry was, was uh, Jewish poetry, actually. He had plagiarized all he could find. He ran out of material. And so he was run out of town following the satanic verses. We've talked about that on previous programs. I think the last program we had a, a, quite a, a, uh, an expose on the satanic verses and how that led to the Dome of the Hoof, Hoofy Print and the Wild Barak Ride, which was from Petra yeah. to, uh, to Jerusalem, into the non-existent temple at that time. What happened when he got to Yathrib is Yathrib was three-quarters Jewish. And he needed material to continue his ruse. So he bribed, paid rabbis to cite the fairly recently created Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud had been created within less than 100 years of that time. And they recited for money. Uh, Rabbis are great for doing things for money. Talmud stories to him. And he took those Talmud stories and twisted them for his uh, own benefit. And then they mocked him for twisting them. And for mocking him after he paid for them, he uh, turned on them and said, the easiest way for me to destroy uh, those who are trying to destroy my credibility is to kill them, which is what he did. Story ends. Without rabbis, there is no Islam. Without rabbis, there is no Christianity. Without rabbis, there is no Judaism. What a different place it would be. If that were the case, Yahweh wouldn't have had to turn to a goyim to tell the story. But that is the history. And for those who are clinging to any one of these religions, expecting a better result, shame on you. It hasn't changed. Not in 2,000 years, it's not going to change. So that's the nature of this uh, particular passage. And, and even with uh, the, the word that's the, uh, that I transliterated, because it's the most difficult to, uh, to just uh, translate, um, which is uh, mitzvah, um, it is a compound of my, which means to either consider the implications of or to question, sapath, which means being observant. So, indeed, you have become a snare, a dangerous means to control another, because you question what it means to be observant. And then you spread your net upon Tabor. Tabor is, uh, uh, means to confound the earth. It's from Tabar, broken, and Tebel, which means a perverted and confounded world. This is what Yahweh says that his people have done. So, in this statement, Hosea 5.1, Yahweh's divided society, his society, the society that he cares most about, the Israelites, into three segments. There's the priests, the minister who are ministers, the common people, and politicians. And I believe they're listed in this order for a reason. If the lowy which has been converted to Levites. There is no uh, B in the Hebrew language, and uh, the Hwa in Hebrew is pronounced uh, as a, either an O or a U, so it is Loi. Had listened and done as they were asked, Israelites would have heard them speak of Yahweh. 
Had that occurred, they would have responded appropriately because God's word is consistent, it's compelling, it's liberating, it's emancipating, it's enlightening. Uh, It's, uh, well, it's the most wonderful thing any of us have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And had they done so, the people would have relied upon Yahweh's priests and judges to properly interpret and apply the Torah, which would have negated the need for kings. Yahweh didn't want kings. He was opposed to kings. Yes, you can say, all right, Yahweh picked Dode, and Dode's coming back as a king. What Yahweh has said is that if you're going to be dependent upon a ruler, and, and clearly I'm going to work through people, and if you're not going to listen to my Shaphat uh, judges and, your, and my Cohen uh, uh, priests are going to act up and, and uh, start lying to people, then you know, I'm, at least I'm going to give you a king that has been a shepherd and a, a king whose attitude and aptitude are as similar to mine as, as I can find on the planet, which was dope. So there would have been no need for kings had we just done what Diawa was encouraging. Now, since he elected to use a different word for listen, for ministers, for individuals, and for leaders, three different words, let's see if we can ascertain why. For the priests, Yahweh chose Shama, the most common word in the Hebrew language for listen. Um, when God wants to encourage us to listen to him, he uses Shama. It is not nuanced beyond hearing. And yet, because it is so often used in conjunction with Shamar to closely examine and carefully consider and shares two of the three letters in its composition in common, we may include <coughs> that the observant individual listens to God. Mm-hmm. The aforementioned letters comprising these words elucidate similar, uh, their similarities. They both begin with the SH shim, which is uh, drawn uh, as teeth. They say, teeth? What are we biting into here? Well, the teeth, if, if you were to start pronouncing words, what you would find is that Vowels are open mouth sounds and consonants are closed mouth sounds, and you're constantly placing your tongue to the backside of your teeth to make these sounds. And so the teeth is symbolic of, of words. They're both followed by the mem. The mem is drawn as uh, to show water. Water is the universal solvent, and it is the source of life. So that's why when you know, we're looking for planets that might have life, the first thing we look for is water. If there's liquid water, there is the opportunity for life. If there is no liquid water, not, not so much. Those are the, the first two letters. The Shen, as I say, was drawn to uh, show teeth, used to depict uh, the words we convey when we manipulate our tongues um, and use them uh, behind our, uh, our lips and teeth uh, to form sounds. And the mem is the picture of water and thereby presents both the life-giving and uh, cleansing nature of, of water. Uh, by the way, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the creation accounts talks about 
there uh, being water uh, very early on in the process. And now with the, uh, the launch of the most recent uh, space telescope, the Webb telescope, we're actually able now to look and into these uh, interstellar nurseries. And guess what we find? Just enormous amounts of water. So clearly, Yawa knew what he was talking about. Water is not only created the nursery for stars, and we are, as uh, humans are uh, uh, actually the result of stardust, uh, particularly with uh, carbon being the the essence of our uh, of our ability to be living creatures. Uh, so, as a result, we are being asked to listen to and observe words which prepare us for life. That's what Shama would convey. Now, the concluding the concluding letter in Shamar is a Roche. Uh, it reveals the human head, a side view, which is the you know right at the uh, the ear, which is what Kirk was uh, suggesting, where we ingest the world that surrounds us using our eyes, our ears, our nose, and our mouth, and then we process it in our brain. That's what the Roche conveys. Shama, listen curiously by way of of confirmation ends as as, as you had said with an A or an I. This is particularly relevant because it confirms something we've been sharing what now for 22 years. Mm-hmm. We listen to Yahweh by reading the words he has inscribed on our behalf and reciting them. Don't hold the Torah up and dress it up like it's a whore and kiss it. Open it. Read it. This was the instruction given to the Cohen, to the individual specifically tasked with conveying and interpreting the word of God to the people so that they would understand the Torah, they would participate in the bereft, and they would attend the Mikrei. All teachers begin as students who listen before they speak. I don't know if there's much we could say that's more important than that. Mm. Teachers begin as students who listen before they speak. Members of the covenant family begin by listening to the word of God before they try to speak to God. This idea of praying without ceasing, being a prayer warrior, yabbering to God when you don't even know his name, you haven't even bothered to read what he communicated through his Torah guidance, you're clueless as to what he communicated through his prophets, you've misinterpreted everything he said, and you want him to listen to you. What are you, nut? What do you think he, you have to say that isn't going to irritate him? Oh, God, I really want to know your will for my life. Then read the Torah, idiot. Yeah, You want to know Yahweh's will for your life? Read the story of Dode. Yeah. That's his will for your life. My life and every life. You don't like Dode because he's just too much of a lovable rogue? And read the story of Moshe. It's extraordinary. But Yahweh wants.
So God is telling us precisely what he wants, and what he wants is for us to listen to him before we start yabbering to him. I talk to God. You know, I've had um, occasions here recently where um, I've been put in what I thought was a uh, untenable position. I've been working at this job for 22 years, and here I start into the book of Daniel, and um, the first six chapters are sheer rubbish. And the beginning of the chapters that actually have some value are rubbish. The history is all convoluted, filled with religious and political uh, uh, statements. I mean, it's just wrong. And I said, wait a minute. So I'm, I'm talking to my wife, and I said, how am I supposed to deal with this? It's blatantly untrue. It's not that it fails the test of Dabadim 18 to prove who speaks for God and who doesn't, which says if you get anything in the past, present, or future wrong, or you say anything that's inconsistent with what Yahweh has conveyed, or you speak in the name of a God other than Yahweh, Jesus Christ, uh, Hashem, uh, Allah, that you're not only a a false (laughs) prophet, but you're better off dead. Uh, it's not that he violated that. Everything he was saying was wrong. How do you deal with that? You know, so I, uh, I remember retiring one night uh, after I was struggling with this, and sure enough, a voice welled up in me and said, I'm going to explain it to you. And after I explain this to you, you can go back and, uh, and write. You're going to understand exactly what the book of Daniel represents. And I, uh, I listened to that voice, and I, I wrote the, the book. It's now published. You can uh, read it. It's, uh, I think it's currently presented uh, as, uh, as um, the ninth volume, the one following this, and the Yada Yada series, but it's being moved to the end of the bookshelf as uh, part of the, the Babel series, of which there will be three volumes uh, initially. Uh, and it's written there for you to understand exactly what God shared with me. And then I start in the book of Ezekiel. So, well, we're still in Babylon, but oh, thank God I'm out of uh, of Daniel. And it begins with a misstatement relative to the the timing. It says, "This is when I'm uh, I'm uh, uh, the word of, <coughs> of God came to me." And I said, "No, no, that that can't be true." Uh, and so that's yeah, that's not a good start. And then it presents God as if he were Satan. I mean, he's got his fancy chariot wheels. He's got the, uh, the all-seeing eye everywhere he's got that are surrounding him. And uh, these beasts have the, uh, the faces of the principal uh, uh, signs of the zodiac that were so popular in Babylon. And, of course, he is appearing above Babylon which is exactly where Yashaya in the 14th chapter told us we would find find him in his rise. And so you read through this, and uh, and it's a presentation of Satan pretending to be God. And then from there you you have what is nothing but a bunch of tales of BDSM. I'm sure it was before the term was was even invented, but of the (laughs) Lord of Babel, uh, telling Ezekiel, who is his submissive, 
uh, to do torturous things that are, are flat out embarrassing. And, and then it gets worse because before long you find the Lord of Babel sexually abusing Jewish women. Yep. And then he pimps them out as if he is the pimp and they are his prostitutes. And then he turns on his prostitutes and dehumanizes them and then has uh, men who raped them kill the prostitute, as we would find he uh, tells the Muslims to do in Islam. It's a horrible story. And through the first 25 chapters, he comes up with 25 different ways to kill Jews. He wants to boil them alive. He wants to slice them with his sword. He wants to plague them with his poisonous words. He has so many different ways to kill Jews. And so this is obviously not from God. It doesn't fail the Dabatim 18 test, because the Dabatim 18 test assumes that you're reading something that you might actually think could have come from God, and you're looking for, is it 100% accurate? Well, this is 100% inaccurate. You'd have to be a total nincompoop to think this came from God, and it it dehumanizes Jews. It demonizes Jews. It's the most anti-Semitic book I've ever read, and I've studied Mein Kampf. I've studied the Quran. I've studied the Christian New Testament and written books on all of them. Ezekiel is the most anti-Semitic tome I've ever read. But it was Jewish religious leaders that put that piece of crap in the middle of legitimate prophets and brought this plague upon themselves. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you're committed, as I am to now, I've done this 22 years, I've written, as I say, what, 30 books now, done tens of thousands of radio programs that are archived around the, uh, the world. And you're taking a prophet, or would-be prophet, who's beloved by three religions, and you're saying that that is the voice of Satan. I wouldn't tell you, that takes some courage. How many people are going to be that bold? And then when you're willing to say, this is graphic and sexual and perverted and grotesque, and not pull any punches. Well, that takes some courage too, because it's even hard on on your own team. Family, yeah. To read that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the voice on Ezekiel was as clear as I'm talking to you tonight. In fact, clear. Do this for me. Do this for my people. This book has plagued them, has harassed them dehumanized them for 2,500 years. Liberate women from its scourge. Liberate my people from its scourge. Demonstrate all the ways that it is wrong. Cover it all. And we are. So I'm telling you, Jews have been their own worst enemy. Putting this book in the middle of those prophets, it's exactly what God is talking about here. Why would you do that? Do you hate yourself so much that you would bring this kind of shame and disgrace upon yourselves? Well, the people of 
themselves, God selected Geshab. He wants those he is talking about to pay attention, which is what Geshab means, to be diligent regarding the response to what they're hearing. This is in our interest to be attentive, to receive the message, to accept it as true, so that we can respond appropriately to it. And let's be clear. Yahweh is addressing Yisrael, not Christians, not the Haredi. He is not interested in those who are religious, even listening to him, because he can't stand to be around them. Yes, God is repulsed by the Haredi, by Christians, by Muslims, and indeed by progressives. The worst of the progressives in America was finally taken off the uh, Foreign uh, Affairs Committee. That was a uh, finally a uh, oh, good really? move. Yeah. 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 Kashab was graphically, <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, pastime. Uh, that yeah. is one of the worst human beings on the planet. Kashab yeah, was graphically presented. Just imagine being a progressive. You say you're for women's rights and you're wearing the hijab uh, in a devotion to a man who was a misogynist, a rapist, and a pedophile. And you think you are being somehow enlightened to, uh, to wear that around your head when it was prescribed by the only man that I think was, could have rivaled Paul as being evil. Mm-hmm. Literally, a multiple-time rapist, a, uh, a pedophile of yeah. the worst order. And a horrific misogynist. There's a reason that Muslims, women, are degraded worse than our Orthodox Jewish women. That's because of the nature of the Quran. Well, Kashab was graphically represented as uh, uh, as the horizon, which is the Q, uh, the sun Mm -hmm. rising or falling on the horizon. Uh, the teeth again, uh, which is for words, and the last letter, the bayat, is a family home uh, depicted with a single entrance from above. For Yisrael, this reveals that there would be a new day, which would lead them home. That's what these yeah. letters describe. You're, you are mm-hmm. the artist and have fallen in love. In fact, you've written a uh, a a wonderful article that's available in the uh, community section of, uh, of Yada Yah on the nature of the letters. And here we have um, the sign of the dawning of a new day, of greater enlightenment, mm-hmm. of teeth with words, and of home, which would lead home. Yeah, and you can even even say a light shining on the words, you know, is the way home. Yeah, light if shining you don't on the words. Where are you going to Right, which lead us home. Mm-hmm. For Israel's leaders, these would be the political leaders, that was the third group, religious leaders, the common people, and political leaders. Yahweh used Azan. Uh, while pronounced differently, it is written identically uh, in the ancient text to Ozen, which means ear. It depicts our Ozen, faculty of hearing, as an Azan tool or implement to deploy in Azan, testing, proving, evaluating, and considering what we can Azan hear if we incline our ears and open our minds to hear. 
Now, Azan is uh, scribed with uh, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, which is also the first letter in Ab Father and El God. It's the Aleph. It depicts a ram's head. Uh, a ram was symbolic of leadership and of leading the flock and of protecting the flock, even living with the flock. The second letter, the Z, is shown as a plow, which would till the ground to make it receptive for seeds to grow. The third letter is a nun, which is either a seed sprouting and growing uh, to conceive something that is fruitful and new life, or to me, like it's a sperm, which is yeah. the source of, uh, of new life and giving birth to a child. So it's the leader of the flock plowing the ground so that it is receptive to the seeds taking root and growing. And so in these characters, Yahweh has explained the role of those who um, seek to lead his people. If you're going to lead God's people, you need to listen. Right? You need mm-hmm. to be a leader who plows the ground such that the weeds are moved aside and the ground is receptive to the seeds God is sowing and that you are sharing, taking root and growing. That's how to be a leader. Lead by example. What a lovely idea. How do you think yeah. that Dode became so articulate and wrote such magnificent Mismore songs? How did he write the uh, 119th Psalm, which, which has eight statements about each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet in alphabetical order to describe how to maximize the time we spend observing the Torah? Do you think that he wrote that without having studied the Torah? Do you think he wrote these beautiful songs without having listened to God sing to him? Impossible. This must be a student before one teaches. One must be a yeah. listener before one talks. I've been doing this a long time. I didn't speak this vociferously, this boldly, this bluntly until I'd spent a very, very long time translating and studying and contemplating the words that God has shared with us. And I would tell you that, that the beauty of what we're sharing with you is that I'm not telling you anything that you cannot verify yourself. All of it. Uh, D, you, and uh, uh, also Kirk, you mm-hmm. have looked at the words that Yahweh has conveyed through his prophets, um, yes, presented from the oldest extant sources, and translated mm-hmm. in an amplified manner where every pertinent meaning is presented and where the, the most form of the word is presented so that you can copy it and paste it to any search engine to go verify those translations. Everything that we're sharing with you is derived from what Yahweh has shared with us. We're not plowing yes. new ground. We're not claiming that we have uh, 
special insights that no one else has. Even when Yahweh says, I want you to understand this is the proper approach to this uh, book, the book of Daniel or the book of Ezekiel. I'm not basing anything that I'm sharing with you off of a unique revelation that was only given to me. Well, God said, I, I want you to explain this to the people based upon what you're reading. I want you to translate everything in Ezekiel from beginning to end and explain it. It's all there. You can challenge everything that I have written. You can challenge every conclusion I have drawn, every insight I am sharing, all there for you, and it is all verified and all based upon what Yahweh's prophets have conveyed with us. And that's really why we're all here, why we're devoted, committed to awakening God's people, to enlarging the covenant family, to exposing lies, and to sharing the truth. We want God's people aware of who he is, what he is offering, what he expects in return. And we do what he does, which is we expose and condemn religion, because until you walk away from it, until you're like Abraham, and on the road away from the birthplace of institutionalized religion and its integration into governance of Ur and Babylon, until you're leaving it and walking away, as Moshe had done from his position in Egypt, which is why he was tending sheep, until you have done what they have done. Look at Dode. He was out in Bethlehem. He was the only one of, uh, of Yeshe's sons that wasn't uh, around the father in the metropolitan areas uh, near where uh, Shamuel was. He had to go fetch him. Until you've done that, God can't reach out to you. You can't know him. But once you've done it, that opportunity is available to you. So that is the reason why I would spend so much time exposing and condemning religion, as he has done throughout the book of Hosha, probably the most comprehensive book from that perspective. So this is God's message to you. We want you to listen to him. We speak his words to you. Our commitment is to properly render what he has said in the most common language of the world, the language spoken by more Jews than any other, language spoken by more people than any other, to translate the words that God's conveyed to us as accurately and as completely as possible from the oldest extant sources and then to explain what God is saying and make it relevant to people today by making the necessary connections to go from knowing to understanding. That is our role, and hopefully you will capitalize upon it. We're 30 minutes past our, uh, our normal allotted time. Thank you for sticking it out with me. Thank you for the, uh, uh, your assessment of the universe. That's the way we, sure. the way it is today. Thank you for <laughs> That's a uh, interrupting oh, oh. in the middle of it and, uh, and throw in what I thought was important for people to hear because um, it's going to get rough out there, and there's only mm-hmm. one way to opt out. 
well, there's lots of ways to opt out. There's only one way to opt out. <laughs> one, one successful way. One yes, only one successful way. <laughs> uh, lots of, lots of uh, bad ways. So we, uh, we look forward to being with this time uh, next week. Maybe we'll be a little bit less uh, verbose uh, and, uh, and end the show closer to the, uh, the 90 minutes. But uh, we do know that uh, the overwhelming percentage of those who listen to this podcast do so uh, at their convenience. Uh, and we, uh, we also know that uh, our family gathers together with us. Many uh, listen on the phone so that they can listen even past the time that uh, we uh, broadcast. Um, and it is a chance for family to uh, get together. And for those that want to do it, uh, you're uh, more than welcome. And we invite you to listen uh, live and to join the, uh, the chat room uh, with those of our family who are uh, eager to, uh, to know the word of our God and to uh, share with one another, um, enjoying the, just what it means to be part of the covenant family. And for all, we encourage you to read, um, to go to Yada Yahweh, have uh, an appreciation of what God has shared. If, uh, if you're new to this, please start at the beginning with volume one of an introduction to God and read right through to the end. There's enough to keep you occupied and thinking for a very long time. I know my wife first wrote me um, after she had spent the uh, better part of two or three weeks uh, reading day and night uh, what was at that time probably 10% of what we uh, have uh, available uh, today. Um, and, and through it, she came to know Yahweh, and you will too. So may Yah bless. Uh, thank you for uh, listening. Happy Shabbat to, uh, to one and all. And um, may uh, you have a, a wonderful uh, day tomorrow as you get to enjoy your time with uh, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. Uh, good night and may you bless. Good night. Shabbat shalom, y'all. Good night, my friends.